This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. We're in the third week of the End in Mind series, which we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and chapter one and chapter two. Uh, so now we're in chapter three, third week, and the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter three are the bridge that tie the first two chapters together. And so if you aren't familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes at all, it's a poetical book. So it's one of five poetical books that sits right in the middle of the Old Testament. So you have 17 uh, historical books, you got five poetical books, and then you got 17 prophetical books. Those are the 39 that make up the Old Testament. Those five poetical books are really good principles for living life. Solomon wrote a lot of them. He wrote a lot of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. He was the wisest man outside of Jesus ever to walk this earth. And he gives us really good principles, but they're not promises. It's important to know. So the chapter we're looking at today is there's a time for everything. And then we'll also finish up with dust to dust. And so I think it's important in Branson to ask a poll question, right? There's a time for everything. When is the right time to start putting these up? Any, anybody in here pre-October, pre-October, any, pre-Halloween, pre-Halloween? Pre, anybody in here have their Christmas lights up already? Just curious, right? Look at that. Woo, yeah, Christmas, let's go. Those people are year-round just because they're too lazy to ever take them down. I'm just, I'm just saying. How, how many of you will wait until the Friday after Thanksgiving? It's tradition. That's when we do Christmas lights, right after Yep, and dad's like, nope, not, not. eat turkey first, Christmas lights the next day to burn turkey off, okay? Leave it be. H- how many of you already started listening to Christmas music? <laughs> it's too early. Now that, I, I can do Christmas lights because you, it takes so much work to get them up, you want to enjoy them longer. Christmas music is the day after Thanksgiving, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Yeah, boo me all you want. <laughs> boo me all you want. Uh, There's a time for everything. So I traveled to Atlanta this week with with my 10-year-old, and we went down to Atlanta and back. There's a time to gather all your belongings and put everything back in your backpack and your suitcase, and there's a time not to do it. The time not to do it is right at the conveyor belt. That's when you don't try to put your belt on and get everything. There's a whole line of people behind you. It's called social awareness, people. Okay? This guy is doing it right. I want you guys all to see this is the right way to get all your stuff back together as you travel for the holidays. It'll make everyone around you a lot happier. Okay? There's a wrong And in the jet bridge, when you're walking off the plane on the jet bridge, that's not when you start putting everything different. There's a whole line of people getting off the plane with you. Okay? Social awareness. How about this one? And then Scott Frost, one of the Oregon coaches, having to restrain Blunt from going after them. This after Blunt struck Byron Hout with a punch to the jaw. There's Scott Frost, one of the Oregon coaches, holding Blunt back. Watch what happens here. He's running his mouth. Yep. So, 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 sports fans. There's a time to gloat over victory, and there's not a time to do it, right? There's a time for everything, right? Chiefs fans, we know you're good. You don't have to remind us all the time. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 17 says, that, do not boast in your enemy's defeat. 
Yes, I'm speaking to you. I see all the Chiefs jerseys in here today. Okay? Like, like when Ted alluded to Liberty's win over Arkansas a day after Arkansas lost. That's why nobody laughed. It was too soon. All you Arkansas fans, I heard you cheering. It was too soon. I'm watching the uh, Alabama-Tennessee game with my 10-year-old the other day. My father-in-law sitting right here is a big Roll Tide fan. My little 10-year-old starts giggling, and my wife's upset that her Roll Tide's, but she grew up with Roll Tide. She starts getting upset. She says, why are you giggling? He goes, I think it's funny because Alabama never loses. <laughs> it wasn't the right time. I said, Aiden, <laughs> it's not the right time to start laughing right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't giggle. Okay, Here, here's another one, a little more serious note. Uh, when, when Ted or I or the teaching team are up here and we're praying with people that are literally turning their lives over to Jesus or asking to be prayed for for family members that are sick or different things, and we're up here after a service connecting with people that God's moving in their hearts, that is the wrong time to come up and have a theological debate with me. Okay? Uh, the right time of that is never, but that is definitely the wrong time. Okay? That's the wrong time to do that. Uh, here, here's another one, and, and you never know this. Uh, there's people in here that have just gone through a miscarriage. Like, like miscarriage, my wife and I went through a miscarriage, and you don't realize how many people go through miscarriages until you go through one. And, and, and let me encourage you, not that I don't want to know that you went through a miscarriage too, but sometimes the most powerful thing is your timing. And so when somebody's going through something hard, loses a loved one, is going through a miscarriage, going through a divorce, the response shouldn't be, me too. Like, me too. The response should be to listen, to press it. There, there's a time when you can share that story, but, but not in the immediate moment of somebody's grief. It, it's not about you know because you're there. No, it's about this person is hurting, so I'm going to step into that space and just listen and comfort and love. There, there's a time for everything. There's a time for this. There, there's a time when you should text, and there's a time when you shouldn't text, and a time you shouldn't text is when you're driving. That's called driving while intoxicated. <laughs> it's not a good idea. There's a time when you should post on social media, and there's a time when you shouldn't post on social media. Usually when it has to do with political things, it's never. Okay? Or if it's venom, you should ask yourself, is this honoring to God? Will this give grace to the hearer? And will this build other people up? Those are all biblical principles. That I'm there's, a time to do that. there's a time when to call rather than text. There's a time to call rather than an email. I encourage my staff all the time, hey, if we have a serious matter, if there's conflict, don't text it, don't email it. You, you can never read the tone or the text in an email or a text message. You, you, you can't read it. Body language, everything, it's just so much more fruitful to have. And I know some of you are like, man, I hate face-to-face -face confrontation. A text lets me hide behind my phone. No, 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 no. That just makes the matter worse, right? So there's a time for everything. And then about this. Right? There's a time to pray. When's the time to pray? Well done. Well done. Always. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Pray continually. It's always the right time to pray. Right? Sometimes people probably think I'm crazy and I talk to myself. I'm not. My lips are moving. I'm just praying. Okay? If I'm in my car and my lips are moving and no one's sitting in my car, I'm just praying. Just praying all the time that God would just guide and lead me. So these first eight passages in Ecclesiastes chapter one through eight is talking about there's a time for everything. There's a right time for things and there's a wrong time for things. And this is the wisdom of Solomon that he's sharing with us. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I love that he said that there's a season. All of you, you're, you're either in winter, you're coming out of winter or you're leaving winter. 
all of you, you're either about to enter into a tough season. Some of you in here would say, Adam, I'm in a tough season right now. I, I've been going through a tough season. You know the beautiful thing about winter in the Ozarks? We all know what's coming. Spring, and spring in the Ozarks is beautiful. So some of you right now are in winter. I want you to know that spring's coming. Spring is coming, or you're exiting out. You're, you're in one of those three seasons your entire life. You're either about to go into a tough season, you're in the middle of a tough season, or you're getting out of a tough season, right? But, but through it all, the one constant is the Lord. And, and he sees you in your tough season. He sees you about to enter in the tough season, and he sees you getting out of the tough season because he's the one getting you out of it. He's the one that sustains. It goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill. People are like, wait, when is ever a right time to kill? Well, World War II eradicated a lot of evil, right? Whether you want to debate whether or not war is ever right, I, that would be a proper time to stop people that are killing Jews. That would be an appropriate time to stop it, right? And a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. That goes back to the miscarriage. There's a time to weep, people, and then there's a time to laugh. And that's what I love about Ted and this church is God wants us to laugh, too. I don't have to always be serious and uptight. Like, laugh. let's laugh at church. I love it. We just spent the first five minutes together laughing like that. God wants us to laugh. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to step into those moments. And there's a time to mourn. It's our social awareness that needs to be aware. When is it a time to laugh and when is it a time to mourn? A time to dance. You don't want to see me dance, I promise. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace uh, if you ever want to just love on Ted, he loves physical touch. So just go give him a hug and love on him. He just loves it. The closer you are to him, the better. Uh, uh, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, which is always okay with him. But there's a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence. A time to keep silence. Yeah, there was just another little voting thing that just happened this last two weeks. It's going to be another really big one in another year and a half. A time to keep silence, right? And a time to speak, right? I think so many times as believers, we, we don't get ourselves in trouble by our silence nearly as much as we get ourselves in trouble by our words, right? And, and so it's important to know that the former here far outweighs the latter. Matter of fact, James in chapter 119, he says, be, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. There, there is great healing power in great listeners. There, there's great healing power in becoming a great listener and being slow to speak. And so much of the wisdom that Solomon is pouring out on here in these first eight verses is about being slow to speak and listening and, and comforting others. All those things, comforting, mourning, loving, dancing, all that comes with being a good listener, being slow to speak and just listening, being socially aware of your surroundings. You can't be socially aware without listening. And listening is not always audible noise. Listening is also visual noise. So there's different ways you can listen and pick up on things and see what's going on and feel the room and understand the room and understand what's going on in somebody's life and understanding the questions that, that you need to ask, right? Uh, it goes on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Uh, there's one person in this world you guys get to hate. Do you know who it is? My 10-year-old and 8-year-old said it quick. I love it. Satan. That's it. End of list. 
That's, that, that's it. Your list ends there. Satan's the only one anyone in this room gets to hate. You don't get to hate Raiders fans, all you Chiefs fans over here. You don't, you don't get to hate Broncos fans. No, no, no. You get to hate Satan, and that's it. End of list. That's the only time and the only person you get to hate is Satan, and you get to hate sin. Those are what you have God's permission to hate. Everything else from you should exude love. Because Jesus said, they will know you are mine by what? By your love. So what he said, that's what Jesus said, you'll know by love. A time for war and a time for peace. So by the way, Jesus is the prince of peace. And so now it shifts gears. So that was a time for everything. Now it shifts gears, and, and then this is a God-given task. So these next verses are, this is a task that God has given. Uh, and Solomon's saying, what gain has the worker from his toil, right? Ted alluded to this last week. You, you've never seen a U-Haul follow a hearse to a funeral, right? So what are you working for? What are you working your tail off for? What are you trying to build? What castles do you think you're going to take with you to heaven? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Do you know what God has given us as a task to be busy with? It's Matthew 28, 19. It's the Great Commission. That, that, this is what he's been given us to be busy with. So regardless of what your occupation is, what you do, what you work, whether you're a businessman in town, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an architect, whether you're a coach, whether you're a teacher, regardless of what your occupation is, your voca, the Latin word meaning calling, your vocation is all the same for every believer in Jesus Christ. Our calling is the Great Commission. Right before Jesus pulled off the coolest hoverboard trick ever and ascended into heaven, he said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. That, that Great Commission wasn't to, hey, just the pastors at Woodland Hill, you go make disciples. Hey, just the church people, you go make, nope. It was for the businessmen, it was for the lawyers, it was for the doctors, it, it was for every follower of Jesus. He said, go therefore and make disciples. That, that is the work he's been giving you to be busy with. That, that is what God has given. That is the commission he's given all of us, regardless of what our occupation may be. Okay, it goes on to say in Ecclesiastes, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God's time is perfect. God doesn't think of time the way we think of time. A lot of times when you and I say the word time, we think of chronos, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. God's not referring to chronos here. A lot of times when you see time in the Old Testament, the scripture, it's actually the word kairos, meaning moments or opportunities. Remember, when Solomon's writing this, there was no watches. There was no clocks. Time was dictated on the days, and so the opportunities, the moments they had each day, they walked in and lived in those. And so God doesn't think of time the way you and I think of time. He doesn't break down time. He's outside of time. So he sees time completely differently than you and I do. And time is what puts so much stress on so many of you. Oh my gosh, Thanksgiving's next week. Oh my gosh, I got to do this. 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 I don't have enough time. How am I going to get this done? Christmas is three weeks after that. This is this. Is, and so time has changed everything in the stress and the pressure it puts on all of you in here, right? I'm even on a time crunch right now. What time I have to wrap this service up? Everything in time. And then you travel to the Luther with me in February. They don't care about time. I tried to go run a basketball tournament there a couple years ago. I said, first game starts at 6 o'clock. Yep, that first game started at 7.15. And they didn't care what my American idea of time meant. They operated differently. Even in, in the Bahamas, they operate off the sun. They're not worried about a watch. They'll, they'll start when they want to start. They might be caught up in moments. They might be serving someone on the side of the road. They might be doing something else because they're living in those moments. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart. 
I love that verse. It means every single one of you, God's put eternity in your heart. That means every single one of you in here know that there's something more. At one point in your life, you said, God, I, there's got to be something more. You've got to have something more for me. I know this can't be it. And you're right. You're absolutely right. There is more. This is not it. Heaven is it. And he's put eternity in every man's heart. And so, so he put this God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts. And what do we do? We try to fill it with success. We try to fulfill it with money. We try to fulfill it with accolades. We try to fulfill it with fame. We try to fulfill it with all these things only to know, like, why is my heart still empty? Because you're not filling it with eternity. You're not filling it with Christ. Jesus is the only thing that can fill that God-shaped hole in your heart. Jim Carrey, famous actor and comedian, said it best. He says, I wish everybody could be famous and rich to realize happiness is not found there. So you all are like, man, there's something empty. There's something missing in my life. How is your relationship with Jesus? How, how, how is your heart towards Jesus? How are you inclined to him? He's the only thing that will fulfill you, and he's the only thing, Hebrews 13, 5, that will never leave you or forsake you. Everything else in this temporal earth will forsake you, will forsake your, longings, your, your deepest longings. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In the same vein, Clyde Staple Lewis, author of Mere Christianity and Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, said this, If I find within myself a desire in which this world cannot satisfy, the only probable explanation is I was made for another world. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy you. It wasn't intended to. You weren't, but he put eternity in your heart so that nothing in this world would ever satisfy. Maybe for temporary it will. I'm trying to explain this to my eight-year-old now. Like, dude, I'm gonna get you a present. You're gonna ask me for another present the next day. I'm gonna get you a gift and you're just gonna want a gift a week later. I'm gonna get you something and you just keep asking. Why? Because they don't satisfy you. They weren't meant to satisfy you. They weren't meant to bring you completeness. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can fulfill that deepest longing in your soul that you think something else is going to satisfy, and it won't. Right? goes on to say this. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So to not enjoy life, like God wants you to enjoy life, to not enjoy life is to rob God as a gift to you. He, he wants, he, yes, he wants you to be happy. Yes, he wants you to be holy. As I studied this week, they're combined together. And I used to think that happiness and joy were separated. No, Randy Alcorn did a great commentary on this this week as I studied it, that they're actually everywhere throughout Scripture, happiness and joy are actually correlated to one another. They're connected. They're synonyms to one together. So when we have Jesus, we have a joy that the world cannot take away or explain. And it tries to rob us, but they can't rob what is sealed in us. On our happiness. And so everything in your world and your culture says, just do what makes you happy. Be happy. You be happy. But your happiness is not found in the world when eternity is in your heart. Happiness is found in Christ. And yes, he wants to be. And he knows what will bring us happiness and joy far greater than anything in this world or what you think you will. He knows. And so when you pursue him, he's going to bring you joy. He wants, he loves to give good gifts to his children. He's a good, good father. And he wants you to give you what's good for you, not what you think is good for you. Just like with our children, what they think is good for them, a diet of all chocolate and candy, is not good for them. And so what you think is good for you, more money, more materials, more things, may not be good for you. And so there's a, a documentary that came out a couple years ago. Fascinating documentary if you've never seen it. It's called Happy. 
And they go through all over the world and, and they find the people that seem to be the happiest. Check this out. What do you want out of life? I don't know. To be happy? To be happy. I want the American dream. I want to be happy. The professor said to me, you can never measure happiness. Now why they thought you could measure depression, which they were all doing, but you couldn't measure happiness, I'm not sure. This is a paradise to me. That's why I love it so much. And then you don't know what you're gonna see. When I was run over by a truck, my whole life changed. There is a great deal you can do on a regular basis to become happier. If you've never seen that documentary, check it out. It, it, it's free. It, the, the happiest people in this documentary are people in the slums of India and in Indonesia. And, and it's insane. And I read this quote this week I wanted to share with you. Our assumptions about what happiness should be are what makes us unhappy. Let go of your expectations about what you think would make you happy and treasure your life for what it is and what God has given you. So if you live with, if only I had blank, then I would be happy. Unless that blank is Jesus, it's a lie. If only I had a promotion, if only I had a girlfriend, if only I had a boyfriend, if only I was married, if only I had kids, if only I had a boat, if only anything you put in that blank other than Jesus is a lie. It won't make you happy. Ted said this last week, somebody in, outside of LA won the $2 billion prize. A year from now, they won't be happy. If they weren't happy before the $2 billion, they're not going to be happy after the $2 billion. If only I had Jesus is the only answer that will suffice. Look at these statistics if you think I'm making this up. So the top 10 countries with the highest rates of depression, number one, that makes sense. They're under tyranny right now from Russia. That makes sense. This is, la this, is this last year, these statistics. Number two, tied for number two, United States, the most affluent, opportunistic country in the world. United States, second highest in depression. We're not, there's no, Canada ain't invading our borders. We're not a war. It's insane. Australia, also extremely affluent. So it's proving to you that money and materials do not accumulate to happiness. That they don't do it. Now look at the top 10 countries with, with the highest, with the lowest rates of depression. They're all islands. They're all impoverished islands. Really low income. Common denominator with the lowest rates of depression. Low materialism, low money, lots of sunshine. Lots of vitamin D. That, 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 is, that is literally it. The lowest. United States is number two right behind a war-stricken country. That's insane to me because we think materials and money will make us happy. And that's the lie the devil wants you to believe. Look at this next verse in Ecclesiastes. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. 
I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. Every hillbilly in here just disagreed with that. But, and, and man has no advantage over the beast. Remington and Winchester might disagree with that. For all is vanity. All go to one place, all from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work. I want you guys to hear this. Work is not a product of the fall. Work is not a product of the fall. Work, work was pre-fall. So God created Adam, said, here, toil the ground, work the ground, farm the ground. Name all the animals. So he gave them both laborsome task and a tedious task. Imagine, when Adam was naming the animals, he was really creative at first. Like hippopotamus, rhinoceros, giraffe, brontosaurus. And then he got really bored and just worn out. That, that's a tedious task, naming all the animals, right? So he gets bored. He's like, ant. That's eating that, ant eater. Worn out, man, but he, but he was given a tedious task. And so work is our opportunity to worship God. And, and so we never retire. We may retire from our occupation, but like I told you about the Great Commission, we never retire. Doing God's kingdom and God's work never and done until you're with God. Or else he wouldn't still have you here. Work is an opportunity, like, like welfare and trying to get free handouts and all that. That's not God's design. God's design is that we work and we get to worship him in our work. And that work looks different for everybody in here. But God's design is never for us to sit on our laurels. He did not design it that way. We get to worship God. It is not a product of the fall. And the last one, who can bring him to see what will be after him? What's the answer? You're in church. You'll be right 99% of the time if you just shout this name. What's the answer? Jesus. Come on, man. My eight-year-old got it. What's the answer? Jesus. Thank you. That, that's who will help you see. And, and so, so I, I don't, I, you guys see time like this. It's ticking. For some of you in here, this time will be done faster than others of you. But, 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 but God says, I, I'm patient and I want everyone to know me. And so I don't know how you walked in here today. I don't know how your time's looked up to this point in your life. I, I don't know how much time you have left in your life. No one does. But, but, but I know that God didn't send you on earth to be killed, stilled, and destroyed from, but he came that you may have life and have it to the full. And whatever time you have left, I know God wants to use it. And, and I know God has put eternity in your heart, that God wants a relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship. He wants to use you to advance his kingdom through making disciples and teaching others. He, that's, that's his nature. That's his business. That's what he's designed. And, and, and so, so God puts everything on pause for you so that you could come to know him. And, and you wouldn't be consumed with, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, no, God says, I love you. I know all your junk. I know all your past. I know everything you've done, good, bad, and ugly. I know everything about you. I want you to come just as you are. I got a plan for your life. And it's not to accumulate more money and materials. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never surrendered, if you've never filled that God-shaped hole in your heart, I want to ask you to meet me over at the chapel. If you've never made the decision to be baptized, we're doing spontaneous baptism. They'll have towels. They'll have change of clothes. It'll be warm over there. If you want to jump over there and do baptisms right now, I'm going to pray us out of here, and I'm headed straight to that chapel 
to talk to you if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior or to hang out and celebrate you as you decide to get baptized for the first time. Okay? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this church family. Thank you so much for its leadership. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in here, the generosity this church gives to so many in the community. God, I pray for the hearts in here that don't know you. Would you capture them? Would you get a hold of them? Would you do a work? We celebrate you, Lord, and thank you for the time you've given us. May we make the most of it. Uh, I just pray for all these people and their holidays and the opportunity they have to influence their families that they're with during the holidays. So we lift up today to you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said...